Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Akusia Ochoi. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. As the Vice President just did, is it yesterday? Yeah. I mean, these things should not be tolerated. That is undemocratic. What is democracy? That somebody else will have to dictate to me as to what is good and what is bad, unheard of, the bill will be passed. This is the word to His Excellency the President. There is no way he can intervene. The issue of LGBTQI rights returns to the front banner following the arrival of U.S. VP Kamala Harris to Ghana. Speaker Bagbin is furious. We'll be hearing from him Plus proponents of the bill currently before the House and the U.S. Vice President who is in the country. Also coming up, Electricity Company of Ghana, ECG, continues its disconnection spree. The target today is the Ghana Post and the police barracks in Osu, which was found to have engaged in illegal connections. And later on Eyewitness News. It's for us to do continuous medical check. And I don't need to remind us that the rule is that you should not sit at one place for more than two hours. The advice from the number three gentleman of the land to Ghanaian members of parliament following the sad death of the Kumewu member of parliament today. Stay with 97.3 CTF of more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business, Association of Ghana Industries calls on government to review new taxes introduced in 2023. Stay with 97.3 CTF of more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. The show is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations. We are around the globe on City Newsroom. Dot com. The show is interactive. Do send us your views using the WhatsApp number 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. You can send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973. Globally, we are on citynewsroom.com. We are on YouTube. We are on Facebook. This is Eyewitness News coming to you from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, in Accra. President Nana Adudankwa Kufado is in the United States of America. But that's not a big news. The big news is that Kamala Harris, the Vice President of the United States, is in the Republic of Ghana. Again, that may not be the big news. The big news is that yesterday when she met with Ghana's President at the Jubilee House, a question was asked by a journalist with the New York Times, which question bothers on LGBTQR rights. And the comments that were made there have generated lots of reactions. Let's hear the response that was given by the U.S. Vice President at the Jubilee House yesterday in Accra when she was asked by the New York Times journalist a question relating to LGBTQI. Listen. 
And let me be clear about where we stand. First of all, for the American press who are here, you know that a great deal of, of work in my career has been to address human rights issues, equality issues across the board, including as it relates to the LGBT community. And I feel very strongly about the importance of supporting uh, the, the, the freedom and, and supporting and fighting for equality among all people and that all people be treated equally. I will also say that uh, this is an issue that we consider and I consider to be a human rights issue and that will not change. So that's Kamala Harris, Vice President of the U.S. She's in Ghana. She's currently in the central region. We'll be touching base with a team that is covering her to understand what she's been up to over there. But let's hear now from President Akufado, who responded as well to the question when the journalist asked questions at that joint press conference. Listen to Nana Adudanko Akufado. Question. First of all, we don't have any such legislation here in Ghana. A bill has been proposed to the Parliament of Ghana, which has all kinds of ramifications, which is now being considered by the Parliament. It hasn't been passed. So the statement that there is legislation in Ghana to that effect is not accurate. No legislation. The bill is going through the Parliament. It's going through the Parliament. The Attorney General has found it necessary to speak to the committee about it regarding the constitutionality or otherwise of several of its provisions, and the Parliament is dealing with it. At the end of the process, I will come in. But in the, in the meantime, the Parliament is dealing with it. And I have no doubt that the Parliament of Ghana will show, as it's done in the past, one, first of all, its sensitivity to human rights issues, as well as to the feelings of our population, and will come out with a responsible response to the, to, to the proposed. The legislation was a legislation that has been provided as a private member's bill. This is not an official legislation of the government, but it is one that has been... Uh, being mooted by a handful of private members. So we will see what the final outcome of it. But I'm, uh, my understanding from a recent discussion I had with the chairman of the committee, the substantial elements of the bill have already been modified as a result of the intervention of the Attorney General. We will see what the final outcome will be. And that is at the stage at which I will also have the opportunity to prevent. So that's a wait-and-see uh, position taken by the President Nanado Dankwakufado on the LGBTQI bill currently in the House of Parliament. The man who heads the institution of Parliament, Alban Sumana Kingsford Bagbin, the Right Honourable Speaker, had a breakfast meeting in the House today, and this issue came up. This is what he had to say. Listen. As the Vice President just did, is it yesterday? Yes. I mean, these things should not be tolerated. That is undemocratic. What is democracy? That somebody else will have to dictate to me as to what is good and what is bad? Unheard of. Because we have decided to devalue ourselves and go a begging. Come on. We have more than enough. God has created more than enough for every person. It's just because you are looking at somebody else's share, not yours. We have enough in the world. The bill will be passed. <laughs> this is the word to His Excellency the President. There is no way he can intervene. That answer he gave. 
that is now before parliament and when he gets to a stage that he has to he will come in. hey please this is legislation this is not execution <laughs> wait until we pass it and then we direct you to execute it that is why you come in that is why we are representatives of the people so in terms of law which is part of policy we finalize it and then the executive now have the authority to implement it, to execute it. Let's get this clear. Once this bill is before here, he is not in charge. I am in charge. Yeah. We need to legislate. Our friends just passed their law in Uganda. We may not go the way they have gone because our constitution is very clear as to the direction we should move. And so we'll be guided by that. Because if we pass any law against the constitution, it's unconstitutional. So we have to do that. And so what are you afraid of? If you have the whole people behind you, if God is with you, who can be against you? And if God says, please, go into the wilderness, multiply and fill the world. That is God giving you that command. If somebody says, please, don't multiply. How can that person be strong? I don't only speak this way in Ghana. Even at the last meeting we attended in IPU at Bahrain, anybody who listened to my speech, there were sentences on this matter. Luckily, maybe because it's a Muslim country, they applauded me. <laughs> if they're somewhere else, they'll be asking questions. So that's the Speaker of Parliament, Right Honorable Abansumana Kingsford Bagbin. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Now, this issue uh, of the bill in the House, as you heard from the President, there's just a handful of MPs who decided to bring that bill before the House. And so it's not necessarily an official government position that has been brought to the House. But the Attorney General has made input after which the bill now appears to be in a good shape, ready to go through. One of the handful of MPs that brought this um, bill to the House, you can call him the proponent or chief proponent of the anti-LGBTQR bill, is the Ningo Pram Pram Member of Parliament, Samuel Nati George. He's joined us on the line. Honorable George, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Hi, good evening, Tomorrow, Good evening to your listener. So, a lot of things have happened over the past 24 hours in relation to this bill of yours that you have before the House. So, the U.S. Vice President has spoken, the President of Ghana has spoken, now the number three gentleman of the land has also spoken. As a proponent of the bill, what do you make of all these three submissions? Do they take away or add anything to your bill as you are presented and are working on since since you deployed it some two years ago? Well, um, I don't see anything being taken away, but I see something being added. Um, I do not see anything. I mean, the, the comments by Kamala Harris were an expression of an opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Um, Kamala Harris is the last place we will go to for a lecture on human rights. I mean, we say when you want a lecture on morality, you don't go to a brothel. 
And so the U.S. vice president is the last person to be giving lectures on human rights. Uh, her record and the record of her government on human rights is appalling, and not one that Ghanaians will want to learn anything from. Um, president Akufuado, on the other hand, lost the golden opportunity to take a stand um, like his predecessors had done to make clear Ghana's unequivocal position on the issues of LGBTQ. He chose to beat around the bush and try to distance himself from the bill and say, oh, it's not my bill, it is a bill by a handful of members. Well, a handful of members have presented this bill and parliaments will, uh, will pass it and will demand of him to execute it and sign it into law. So whether he calls it a bill by a handful of persons or not, and whether he tries to distance himself away from it, he's a attorney general who is the chief legal advisor and, chief, and basically lawyer to the president of, in, in his capacity as president of Ghana, Godfadami, uh, has contributed to the bill and has eventually given the bill uh, a, a, a pass by his standard. So it will suggest that the government's position on the bill is that it supports the bill. So for the president to run away from his own government's position is, is a worrying and, and sad spectacle on the international uh, stage. Now, what, does, what is added to the bill is what happened today. The, the, the comment by the Right Honorable Alban Sumana Kingsford Bagbin, the fact that he made a bold call and a bold decision that this bill will be passed and that we, we are not going to be cowed by the undemocratic comment of the Vice President of America. I mean, um, the American people should be coming to Ghana to learn a few things from our parliament when it comes to issues of lawmaking because we would be in a very good position to help them with a private member's bill, help their members of Congress, for example, pass legislation on gun control to avoid the senseless killing of innocent children like we saw yesterday, barely two hours after Kamala Harris's unsolicited uh, uh, opinion. We saw gun violence that killed three young children and three teachers in, um, in an American school. Um, gun violence is a human rights issue that should be looked at closely by Kamala Harris and her boss, Joe Biden. And we as Ghanaian Parliament will be willing to help them draft a bill um, because we see that that's an area in which they, they lack the expertise. And so for us, and for me as a sponsor and my colleague sponsors, we are buoyed by the speaker's reassuring words and the fact that we know that the overwhelming majority of the Ghanaian people, be they Christians, Muslims, or traditionalists, uh, are fully behind this bill. And, and as president, he must always remember that his fidelity to the 1992 constitution, he swore an oath to uphold, not the opinion of a vice president who comes into another country and behaves in a very hypocritical and undiplomatic manner. Okay, now the president ultimately is the one who has to put a pen to the bill when it comes to the Jubilee House before it becomes law. Otherwise, it will remain what it is, a bill. Listening to the president adopt a wait-and-see approach, do you get a sense that and again, listen to what the speaker has said. Do you get a sense that if the bill goes before the president, he may not accent to it as, as is usual and is expected unless the president has challenges with bills that are brought by the, by the House of Parliament? Well, again, it's not entirely correct that if we went to him and he didn't sign, that would be the end of it. The president will be, will be requested by parliament to sign the bill into law. Um, it will be politically suicidal. And it will it will mark the sound of the death knell on his abysmal governance if he said he was not going to sign that bill into law. I mean, that 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 would be the beginning of the collapse of his government and his legacy. And, and so I, I I want to hazard that thought because I I think that his advisors and handlers would advise him accordingly. 
But let's assume that the president, in his usual um, recalcitrant manner, decided that he wasn't going to sign it into law. What you would then see is that within six months, the Constitution gives us the power to bring the bill. After six months of it being with the president, if the bill passed back to parliament and get parliamentary accent by getting two thirds vote on the bill. Don't forget that for the bill to pass, you just need a yes vote or a no vote. And 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 if anybody called for a division, it will be a head count. Now, if that was done and became a bill and went to the and, and the bill was passed by parliament after the third reading and the president refused to sign it, after six months we can bring it back to parliament and with a two thirds vote of the house it will become law. So with the president or without the president we'll pass this bill. That much I can assure him. Because it will be a clear sign to the president that his own MPs will break ranks with him. I see. But people also are interpreting the comment by the vice president of the U.S. to mean that we are being, you know, cajoled in a way to agree to have LGBTQR rights in Ghana. Because listening to the vice president, she sounded very sure of her position. She says a human right that ought to be agreed with. Is your bill opposed to the rights of LGBTQI people in Ghana? Is that your position? Is that what you have in that document? Because we are again told that the bill has been, for want of a better word, sanitized by the Attorney General. Has that taken care of all the issues that may arise, that may put us in the light that Uganda has been put in now following the passage of that bill and the accent to same? First and foremost, the president's comment that the bill has been sanitized by the attorney general shows that the president is not on top of the job, he's not on top of his brief. Because when the attorney general met with the committee, that meeting lasted less than an hour. Because everything the attorney general had raised in his memo had already been already been dealt with by the committee and members of the, the, the sponsors of the bill. So when the attorney general came, every issue he raised, he just told him, look, we've dealt with this, and this is how we've dealt with it. And he says, well, I'm comfortable with it. So it was less than an hour's meeting. So the attorney general did not sensitize the bill. The Parliament Committee on Constitutional, Legal, and Parliamentary Affairs worked with the sponsors to streamline the bill. The object and intent of the bill have not changed. All the critical issues we put in there remain there. The issues of legislative drafting that were taken care of by way of amendments by the committee and we have respected those and taking them out and so when the president says the bill has been watered down the president doesn't know what he's talking about first and foremost then on the on the on the issue of um whether kamala harris was cajoling us um we're in this stage simply because of the recklessness of our own our own government i mean we are, we are literally begging someone to go and beg someone else for us to beg the imf to give us money I mean, we're having to beg someone to beg someone to beg someone to give us money. That's that's where we find ourselves because of the recklessness of our own government. And that's what will give them the temerity. But again, like I said, it's the hypocrisy of the American government. The American government is is, is simply behaving like a coward, like a bully on, on a school park who looks for weaker people and attacks them. You would have expected that the American government would have taken a tough stand against Qatar uh, during the World Cup and even taking a stand to say that because they, the Qataris have a much tougher stance. Don't forget that in our bill, the longest punishment or the stiffest punishment in our bill is five years of imprisonment. In Qatar, the punishment, the slightest punishment for, for homosexuality is death. Death, complete death, not imprisonment, death. Yet the Americans did not find it appropriate to express their misgivings and place sanctions on the Qataris. They actually allowed their male football team to go and play there. 
and ask their citizens to observe Qatari laws while in Qatar as supporters. The Americans sell weapons, military hardware, to Qatar in excess of a billion dollars every year. Is that not hypocrisy? The Americans have the Saudis as their biggest, one of their biggest trading partners. The Saudis have death as a punishment for homosexuality. Why are they not issuing threats to them? Why are they coming to Africa to try and issue threats here and behave like an overbearing big brother? But again, like I said, it's because of weak leadership. We have put ourselves in this position because of weak leadership. But again, it just smacks of the hypocrisy of the American state and what their so-called foreign policy is. Moving forward, when next are we going to hear from the House of Parliament on the bill? And what is the expectation or what, what are the next steps for a bill that is brought before the House? And this is without prejudice to whether the bill will be passed or not. But what are, you, what are the next steps? So the bill is currently, there are three stages of a bill when the bill is presented after it for a private member's bill, for, let me just take you back. We, we submitted to the speaker. He referred it to his legal office. He checked if it met all the requirements of the Constitution for a private member's bill, especially that it didn't impose financial costs on, on the consolidated fund. And then after that, a warrant was issued for us to proceed. That was sent for Gazette for 14 days. After the Gazette, it came back. Then it was presented on the floor of the House um, for first reading. After that, it was referred by the speaker to the Constitutional Parliamentary and Legal Affairs Committee. We have had a series of meetings with them. Um, we've gone through what you would normally call winnowing and the back and forth, and amendments have been proposed. Some amendments proposed by the the the, the committee are, are supported by the sponsors. Some are not. Some will be subject of debates on the floor. And when that report is laid, which we hope should be laid this week, before Friday, if that report is laid, it will then lead to the House having the second reading of the report or of the bill. The second reading of the bill will then engage the consideration of the amendments that have been filed by the committee and then any other subsequent amendments that any member of parliament will want to file to the bill. Those amendments will be debated and voted upon. And once that is done, we're done with the second reading, then there will be the third reading of the bill, which is basically ceremonial to announce that the bill is passed. So I anticipate that by Friday we will have this report laid and hopefully when Parliament reconvenes either end of June or early July, I think, we should begin the second reading of the bill, which will have us look at all the fine details and amendments and then have it passed. So the passage or rejection will not happen this time. It will happen in the next sitting of the House. In all reality, it's impossible for us to debate the report and debate all the amendments in the next 72 or 96 hours. It's practically impossible. The House is going on recess? Yeah, our timetable, we are supposed to rise on Friday. I see if that will happen, we are yet. But if you read, read a business statement from last Friday, the House is supposed to rise in a day on Friday. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Pleasure, Mike. That's Honorable Samuel Nati George's MP for Ningo Pram Pram. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. There's more on Eyewitness News if you stay with us for more coming up after this break. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News.
You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let me bring some of the messages that you've been sending through. Uh, Nana Opoku from Esuom says it will only be human rights in the USC and not Ghana. Ghanaians, that is Christians, Muslims, and traditionalists, will never and never allow anyone who wants LGBTQ. This is what happens if you don't have leaders who can decide for themselves but has to be directed by someone who knows nothing about your country. Zuta Intema says, these are the kind of leaders that we need in this country. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you once again, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Fiamongo Inabo says, so can't President Akufado do the needful by telling the U.S. Vice President that we are Africans and he cannot be seen promoting LGBTQI in Ghana? Daniel Atia in Dansuman says, good evening, Umaro. Kudos to our Speaker of Parliament for speaking his mind on the LGBTQ issue. He has won my admiration forever. Um, Anafena Neku says, Good evening. I know the world will come to an end, but Akufado will facilitate it with his actions. He should come clear on this LGBTQ issue. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's go to Parliament now to the sad story there. Akusia has a story. The Speaker of Parliament, Alban Bagwin, has stressed the need for members of Parliament to prioritise their health by undergoing regular medical checks. This follows the death of the Member of Parliament for Kumewu, Philip Baswa. The Speaker indicated that a deceased lawmaker collapsed in Parliament on Friday and was rushed to the hospital but was pronounced dead this morning. The Speaker of Parliament, Alban Bagwin, made this known while announcing the death of the MP to the House. The need for us to do continuous medical check, and I don't need to remind us that the rule is that you should not sit at one place for more than two hours, myself inclusive. And so, please, when I'm suspending the house, you should understand. The speaker should not be on the chair continuously for more than two hours. It's unhealthy. He came to the house and he was strong. At least he was ready to come in to vote. And whilst we were haggling, he just collapsed. And here we are now. You know, immediately you are no more. The people start thinking about replacing you. I made it clear at uh, Formina when we went for the funeral of one of our former colleagues. I met the constituents wearing the T-shirts of the aspirants, not of the late member of parliament. And I recall saying there, that if it ever happened to me, which will not happen, and you did that and came to my funeral, I will take you away. Don't worry, it won't happen. So I will take any of you away. So please, let's take our help seriously. So that's the Speaker of Parliament, Alban Sumana Kingsford Bagwin, talking about the sad death of the Honorable Philip Basua, MP for Kume. His brother is Solomon Basua and he's joined us on the line. Uh, Mr. Basua, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Our condolences uh, to you and the family for the loss of your brother. Um, how, how and when did you hear about the death of your brother? Hello. How and when did you hear about the death of your brother? 
Uh, uh, I heard the speaker saying uh, my brother could have been in parliament. That is far from the truth. Uh, my brother went to parliament uh, on, t- uh, on Thursday and returned home, went to sleep. Friday morning, uh, the houseboy was expecting him to wake up around 8 o'clock. Didn't see him. 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, he started uh, calling calling him, no response. And he went out and called some people to break his door. When he got in, my brother was, was on his bed, collapsed. That is what happened. And he uh, he took him to the hospital. He admitted him at Kolibu. Uh, 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 and when they were voting, I was in Kumasi. Uh, the boy called me, called and said, your brother is sick and he's serious, so you should come. So I flew to uh, Accra and went to Kolibu. And in fact, when I saw my brother, uh, his situation was hopeless. That, that is what happening. And we did what we could. Uh, until yesterday, 8.59, that is what happened. We've heard that before he was taken to Kolebu, he was taken to other health facilities. Do you have confirmation for that? They took him to LECMA and the laboratory at uh, uh, Cantonment before they took him to so that's Eurake at Cantonment, correct? Yes, yes, please. Why yes, did please. they move him from Lekma to Eurake to Kolebu? Do you know why? Uh, I was told uh, uh, he had uh, BP and uh, uh, diabetes. So when they, break, uh, break, they broke him, they took him to uh, uh, health facilities at his uh, area, and they couldn't do anything. They, they took him to, like, and they stabilized his situation. Then they asked them to take him to uh, Kualibu. That's what, what happened. We are told that um, his door had to be broken into for him to be found lying unconscious. Is that also true? Yes, please. All right. There's another report that he was actually brought to the House of Parliament to come and vote in an ambulance. What is the that, fact in relating to that? That is never true. Uh, you know, Parliament, when they, they, they are voting, they call their names uh, uh, alphabetical order. So when they called Honorable Basuafle, they didn't see him. So... Some some of your guys thought he, uh, he had uh, other other motives that he, he didn't come to Parliament to vote, so uh, they started call, calling him. He, uh, one of the MPs called the DCE in my in, in his uh, district and asked him if you know someone who is close to Honorable Baswa, let him call him and told, uh, and ask him to come and uh, come and vote. And uh, this is to uh, give uh, this message to to his to his friends, uh, to his boys, 
and they were on social media uh, uh, doing their uh, local politics there uh, because of lateness. Honorable Basura didn't go to parliament and vote. That is what, 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 what happened. At what point do you know that the leadership of the MPP side in parliament got to know about what was happening to him? Because we recall that the majority leader at a point made a comment about uh, the arrival of Honorable Basua and that he was being, you know, they were waiting for him at a uh, point when, he gave up. When, uh, when they, they, were, they were trying to know... Hello? Hello? I'm sorry, we lost Solomon Basua there, his brother of the late MP for uh, Kume. We'll try to re-establish connection with him. But let me go on another line and uh, speak to the Honorable Kennedy Ose Nyaku. Um, he's a member of parliament. Uh, we are told a very close associate and friend of the Honorable, late Honorable Philip Basua. Let me go on the line and speak to Honorable um, MP for Akim Sudru. You're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yeah, thank you, my brother. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm sure you are not doing too well because of the sad news coming through. Um, how close were you to uh, the late Basua? Well, Basua and I were very close friends. You know, we entered into Parliament uh, the same year, so uh, we started from the back bench and gradually uh, we moved forward. And uh, he just sits to just two seats away from me. So we are on the same row and it takes two seats away from me. So we've been friends since 2013. And, uh, I mean, we've been sharing ideas and our frustration as the MPs and whatever happens in our country, virtually on daily basis. So uh, it's very close. Someone who is very close to me that we, 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 we talk and share, share our experiences together. So he's close. What kind of person was he in terms of a legislator? See, for the very years that I've known Basoa, he's a very quiet person, humble. You hardly see Basoa, uh, I mean, talking. If it's not anything related to uh, maybe his chairmanship uh, as a committee chairman, I mean, you hardly see him talking or something like that. He's not that, that, that kind of type. I mean, and he's an, more or less like an introvert type of person. He doesn't go close to where a lot of people are. So he's, he's a quiet type and a very decent man. I mean, of all standards. I think there are so many people I've met, but Basua is very, he's very humble person, very quiet, and you never have anything to anything bad to talk about him. So that is what I have known Basua for all these years that we have been in Parliament. This is our 11th year in Parliament, and that is how I have known him to be as a member of Parliament and a colleague. During his, you know, period that you've known him, has he complained to you about any health challenges? Because now we are hearing that it was a stroke. The brothers just saying to me, something relating to diabetes and high blood pressure and so on. Do you know if he had health challenges that he's been treating or this would be purely stress, uh, like the speaker was warning you today, to be careful and wary of your own health? That is something that Pastor never discussed with me. But I'm not surprised. I mean, these are common 
uh, health challenges that most, not more than about 80% of the, the MPs go through, they face because of the nature of the stress level of the work, constituency problems, and a whole lot of things. And I'm not surprised. I mean, if you see any MP, if you have to even check about 100 MPs right now, we have to check about. Uh, BP and sugar, you see that more than 80% of us have blood pressure and other related health. But most MPs sometimes they ignore it because of the nature of the work. They don't have time, they don't go and check them, even if they put them on medication. Sometimes uh, they forget to take their medication because uh, they don't, I mean, it's like they, they don't have time for themselves. So these are the difficulties that. I mean, uh, the problem that some MPs go through. So, uh, though Philip did not discuss some of uh, or whatever health challenges that he was facing, which me, but it is not surprising to me because I know it's a common thing that most MPs go through because of the nature of the job that with the stress level that most of them have developed BP and other related. So, uh, I mean, that is uh, that is. Mm, mm. A very sad part of of of, of, of uh, the issue. What would you miss most of your friend? Well, I mean, you see, sometimes uh, when it comes to uh, we normally, I mean, <laughs> we, because he hardly, he hardly, uh, he's not that kind of. Uh, he hardly comes out. Uh, Really to be talking to colleagues and all those. So anytime I have the opportunity, I try to tease, tease him that uh, are you when we are going to sit down, boys, boys, to even cut uh, uh, some bottles. You don't go, you don't do this. Why? What? What? What gives you your happiness and all those? Things. So I've been worrying him with that kind of stuff. That is stop having fun. You start having fun and stop those. I mean. And we we'll just be playing around, and I mean, you be telling me you, okay, you are not correct, you are not correct. Leave me alone. I mean, these are the things. Every time I see him, that is what I normally joke with him about. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, his death is so tragic and uh, shocking to many of us. So it has become a bit difficult to uh, put words together. But I think uh, he, he he will be remembered. For his calmness, his humility, and affability. I mean, but these are the few words that I know that I will remember. I remember my my friend Philip Way. Mm. Yes. My condolences and our condolences to you, and uh, thank you for speaking to us. And you do take care of yourself as well, honourable. Thank you. I will. I will. That's Honorable Kennedy Ose Nyako. He's MP for Tim Shredru. He is a close friend, or was a close friend of the. Now late MP for Kumewu, the Honorable Philip Basua. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We are on the globe on citynewsroom.com. Earlier we were hearing from his brother Solomon. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we are unable to reconnect with him. We can now hear, though, from members on the majority side, the MPP MPs, who are expressing shock over the demise of their late colleague. I must admit that the whole of Parliament, as I speak with you, is listening at the news of our brother, friend and father. 
Honorable Philip Baswa is the MP for Kumau in the Ashanti region. It is with the pastor that we received early this morning the passing of our friend. This in no doubt is going to leave us devastated. We can only pray for strong souls. Currently, as I speak with you, Parliament is down by one person. Not just uh, the majority caucus, but the whole of Parliament. And Ghana is in shock. We are praying that the family and the whole parliamentary family finds peace so we can all console the family of our MP. This is very unassuming, very gentle person, um, somebody who never announced his presence and until he's called. Very down to it. I think he came to parliament in 2012, so he's not new in parliament. Everybody liked him, everybody respected him because he respected everybody who would miss him would miss him a lot. Committee members, members closer to him, all of us, he's a friend. Well, I received the news with a shock because Philip didn't show any sign of somebody who was sick or who was bedridden that uh, within that short period, we could lose him just like that. I sit on the same row with Philip. He's just three seats away from me. We came to Parliament the same year, 2013. So I have been with him. I know him. We have been friends. Even on the day on Friday, when the incident happened, we heard that he has fell in coma. I tried to reach him on several occasions, but he couldn't go through. Little did we know that, that was, uh, our brother has uh, gone into coma. So we were all praying when the doctors gave us the assurance that they are trying to stabilize him and they are confident of doing so. So we were happy that we will be receiving our brother very soon. Only for us to wake up this morning to receive this unpleasant news. So uh, I think it's, uh, it is very unfortunate, very sad. The only thing that I will say is I will commensurate with the family, especially the wife. I know it is not going to be easy for her, especially the wife. So those are colleagues of the, Honourable, the late Honourable Member of Parliament for Kumewu, uh, Philip Basua, um, MPP MP speaking in the House uh, to our journalists and Nyaikwe uh, Okain today when they spoke to when he spoke to them about the death of the MP. We also touched base with the Ashanti region where the MP uh, hails from. Uh, his constituency is Kumewu in the Ashanti region and we spoke to the immediate past Ashanti Regional Communications Director of the New Patriotic Party, Kwesi Che. It's a very sad day for the new patriotic party. I got to hear it about, I think it was yesterday in the evening, that we heard some snippets. But basically, you have to hear from the family first before you can confirm or even talk about that. I wouldn't have spoken about that if I hadn't heard something from the family. He's a very affable person. We've been together for a very long time as a director of communication for eight years. I think uh, we met, we talked, we did a lot of things together, especially with his constituency. I was part of the team that went to during the elections and everything. So we worked very closely with him, and I think we will forever remember him, no matter how much hard or how hard it was. He's been there for the party, he's done a lot for the party since the time he became the member of parliament for the party. So to start with, let me send condolences to all the family, to the wife and children first, and then to the entire family. That's the immediate past Ashanti Regional Communications Director of the New Patriotic Party, Kwesi Che. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
You welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We are broadcasting from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. Uh, the big stories we've been looking at tonight, the issue of the LGBTQI is back on the front burner following the comments that were made by the Vice President of the US who is currently in Ghana and uh, she is in the central region now. Uh, she made a comment on LGBTQI plus and the reactions that have followed through. You heard from the Speaker of Parliament, you heard from the President of Ghana, Nana Adodankwa Akufo-Addo. We also heard from a chief proponent of the anti-LGBTQI bill uh, currently in Parliament, Samuel Nati George. We also brought you that sad story of um, the the issue having to do with the death of the MP for Kumewu. Let's talk now about Electricity Company of Ghana. And that company has been engaging in an exercise. Last week you heard us interview the managing director here on Eyewitness News and he said the campaign was continuing and they didn't care whose ox was gold. They were going to continue to do their work. Today they went on another exercise and they targeted very big and companies that you or institutions that you would not even expect. Leila Abubakar is in charge of communication at the Electricity Company of Ghana. She's joined us on the line. Madam, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Thank you. So what was your focus today? <laughs> um, the orders for this week um, have been clear. It says payment or disconnection. And so that's been the target. So which areas did you go to? Which institutions did you look at? And what were some of the things you found? So um, the National Task Force, which is quite large, was divided into nine teams this morning. So they've been spread across the greater Accra region. Within the greater Accra region, ECG has about four regions, the Accra East, Accra West, Tema. Lela, it appears there's a, I don't know, you're speaking from a windy area. I don't know what you can do. Yeah, because we are standing by the roadside right now in front of Electrochem at Ada. We've just finished an operation and when the call came in. And so I'm walking towards. Okay, so, so, so the sea waves are causing problems, but just turn your back to the waves for me so that it will help us. Thank you. So you can continue okay. with your narration while you do that. Okay. So, um, like I was saying, uh, the, task force, the National Task Force has been divided into a number of teams and they've been given lists list of companies to um, deal with. And so I've been with a team in Ada, but I've been keeping up with the rest of the teams um, in the region and across our operational regions. So let's look it's at been very eventful. So let's look at what you have done with the team that you are with in Ada. Then we talk about the things that happened uh, in Accra, the major ones. So what are some of the key places you went to in Ada? What were some of the things you found? How big were the figures that we are discussing? So in Ada. We were hoping to cover at least 10 companies, but um, unfortunately, we haven't been able to do that. We went first to a company belonging to a gentleman, a businessman called Kemat. He owns the Kemat Hotel. He has another facility that is like a, a recreational bar area. And he has a, an, an, uh, I think it's a, a, fish, a fish store, a cold store, they call it. 
and uh, he owed about 220,000 Ghana CDs. And when we arrived, he wasn't around, and so we went ahead with the disconnection from the source. And then we proceeded to a farm, a banana farm, uh, where they owed about 150,000 CDs. And they had settled part of the bill last week, but we were asked to go for the rest of the money this week. Um, they weren't able to pay until we disconnected them from source as well. Then we went to Fossil, which is the fish farm, um, also disconnected them for owing about 120 to 150,000 CDs. They have, some of these companies have more than one meter. And so you'd have to do an addition of all the costs and debts on these meters to ascertain. So I'll be giving you rough figures, not exact numbers. Yeah, so that's fine. The mm. company owed about 150,000 and we disconnected them. And then we headed straight to Electrochem Songo, which is a salt manufacturing company. And they owe over 300,000 CDs. We got to the gates and they wouldn't allow us in. Apparently, that's what our regional officers have been going through for several months now. And so we have just disconnected them from source as well. So that's what's been happening in Adan. What about Accra? What's the update that you received? Well, Accra has also been interesting. Um, top on the list is the incident that happened at Ghana Post where our team was there to retrieve an amount of 89000 and when they weren't able to get the amount, uh, they had to disconnect them. I think things didn't go well, and the staff were present, uh, prevented from leaving the premises of the Ghana Post Office in Accra. But later on, they were allowed to leave. Um, Ghana Post still hasn't settled the bill yet, so I think they are still off. So you mean, um, the, you mean the Ghana Post head office, as in Ghana Post Office head office in Accra? In Accra, yes, please. And when you say they didn't let your men leave or a team leave, they what? They locked them up? They, I wasn't there. And so I cannot say in what manner in which they were prevented. But if the gates were open, I'm sure they would have left because they wanted to leave. I'm sure the gates were shut and they probably prevented them physically from um, entering their cars and driving off. So I received a call to intercede and then... Uh, I think a few minutes later, they called to say they had been re released. When your people do the disconnection, uh, is there any way that the institution that has been disconnected can reconnect or you, you are the only ones who can come back and do the connection? Yes, it's supposed to be only us who have the authority to reconnect. But um, there are other people who have gone to electrical school and they have some good knowledge. And so sometimes they're able to get people to reconnect them. When we find out that you have connected yourself back to the grid, we take you through a procedure. However, this time, we don't want that incident to happen, where when we disconnect you from the meter, it's fairly easy to reconnect. So now we are disconnecting you right from the source, which is the pool that supplies you electricity. We take the source line, and then we take a few other feeders, and then we leave. Let's talk about the last place, and the irony will not be lost on anyone listening to us, that your team found illegal connection happening at a police barracks. Share more, please. So um, the team was there to serve notice to the Osu police station and barracks. I think the administration block had a bill of about 40000 
and then the barracks had a bill of about 60,000 in total. And so we weren't intending to disconnect them. We're just serving them notice to make the payment or come to us so that we have an arrangement and then uh, pay for them to pay the bill. Um, so while they were on the ground, they realized some of the lines looked irregular. And so they traced and later found out that um, three of the blocks had been connected directly to the grid without passing through our meters. And that was when they sounded an alarm. In that case, we have no option but to disconnect. And so that was what happened. Educate me, but do police barracks pay for power? I thought these are part of some government institutions that may be exempt, or they are supposed to pay through an indirect means. Every government, I do not know how the police pays. They are supposed to pay their own bill. Um, but I don't know if they have an arrangement with uh, maybe a financial institution within the government system to make payments. But if their name is on, their, on our list, then it means that you're supposed to pay us the money. They owe us money, more or less. So who is paying? Really, we cannot say. But the police is on the list. And so we went there. So that police, and we weren't going to disconnect them. So that, but that police barracks now, they will be sleeping in Doomsaw tonight. Three of the blocks, three out of the 12 or so blocks there would be in darkness. Thank you for speaking to us. And uh, we wish you all the best on your campaign. And Thanks the safe journey back to That's Leila Abubakar. She speaks for the electricity company of Ghana, ECG. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And business news is up next. Please stay. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get the details every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, proudly brought to you by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. I am Makose Aucher. Let's settle for the details. The Association of Ghana Industries says it is optimistic it will get some of the taxes introduced in the 2023 budget reviewed before they are passed by Parliament. The association is expected to meet with the finance minister later today over their concerns of being overburdened by the current tax regime and the need to relook at some of these policies, especially as new ones are anticipated to take effect. Parliament is expected to pass the Income Tax Amendment Bill, Excise Duty and Excise Tax Stamp Amendment Bills, as well as the Growth and sustainability level bill soon. Speaking to City Business News, Greater Accra Regional Chairman of the Association of Ghana Industries, Chunam Apelo, stressed the need for government to create a conducive environment for local entities to thrive. If the, the hen that is laying the golden egg is the one being targeted and killed, obviously we cannot uh, uh, survive in such societies. So our prayer to government is that there are many other ways of dealing with the matter. There has always been an issue around property taxes. There are a lot of houses in Ghana who will barely pay tax. Our view is that they should explore these other 
mechanism of raising revenue. There are many, many more ways of dealing with the issue, which includes government looking at its own expenditure levels. And because we believe that spending should be so productive to actually enhance growth. And we want government to look into its own spending to ensure that it complies with you know, growth agenda and all of that. So we really look forward to an excitement, uh, engagement, and hopefully some of these reliefs we are seeking will be granted. Greater Accra Regional Chairman of the Association of Ghana Industries, Chunam Akbelo. Let's still stay on these uh, three new tax bills because the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta, has expressed confidence that Parliament will heed to calls by the business community to reject the, the bills being introduced by the Akufuado government. Uh, business communities have opposed their move, lamenting that the numerous levies will further burden the already distressed business communities. Speaking to City Business News, National President of Guta, Dr. Joseph Obeng, said the taxes in question will have a rippling effect on businesses. Uh, members of parliament and all that, and we have a great deal of confidence in them, and we know that they are rational beings who listen to the plight of their constituents. In this case, we are their constituents, are the business community and all that. And they do not represent themselves. And we know that they understand the fact that they represent the interest, the generality of Ghanaians. And that it will not serve their interest if they do anything that will not go well for Ghanaians as a whole. Especially the business community. That is the engine of growth that we all admit. And so I believe that they are going to take this in good faith dissect the issues, evaluate it, and put it in proper perspective, and do the needful. I believe they will do that. If they do not do that, I'm not expecting that they represent themselves. Parliament does not represent themselves. They represent the people of Ghana. And that, you know, there are certain taxes or laws that have been passed that the power of the people have made the reverse of it. Dr. Joseph Obeng is president of the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta. Away from that, visiting U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris has stated that investing in women's economic empowerment sets a direct path towards poverty eradication. According to her, women make enormous contributions to economies, whether in businesses, on farms, as entrepreneurs or employees. Addressing Ghanaians from the Black Star Square, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris emphasized the need for African countries to adopt and implement regional and national plans, legislations, policies, strategies, and justice mechanisms in order to strengthen women's economic empowerment. Women around the world must be able to fully participate in economic, political, and social life. And they must be able to participate equally, including in leadership roles. It is a key to maximizing global growth and opportunity. However, we see 
gender disparities around the world, including in the United States. Disparities we must all address. On the continent of Africa, we know women grow a majority of the food, yet they are less likely to own the land they farm. They represent a majority of frontline healthcare workers, but face disparities in health outcomes. Women are entrepreneurs, yet have limited access to capital and markets. They are peacemakers and bridge builders, yet continue to be underrepresented at the tables where decisions are being made. And there are many factors that impact a woman's ability to survive and thrive. One of those is economic empowerment. And when we lift up the economic status of a woman, let's be clear, we lift up the economic status of her children, her family, the entire economy benefits. Kamala Harris is U.S. Vice President speaking at the Independence Square here in Ghana. The Rice Millers Association has expressed optimism that the local rice industry may experience a boost in the coming days as more companies from Thailand have entered into private partnership with the Jospan Group of Companies. The association explains that government must leverage on this development to offer more support to the private sector. In an interview with City Business News, the convener of the Rice Millers Association, Yao Upoku, said if the right investment is made, it will create more employment avenues for the populace. For the rice sector, we, as a matter of agency, need investment on all the fields. So it's a vast field. It covers almost every part of the value chain. This has been neglected over the period. And so with this private sector investment, which is a massive one, coming into the sector, it is going to change the phase of rice delivery in the, in the country. And this project seeks to employ at least a quarter of a million to half a million people once it is rolled out. So it's a massive way of enhancing the economy. And government, as a matter of policy, should push his shoulders behind the effort of the Johnson Company to make this project a worthwhile project because it is going to enhance our food delivery and it will spawn off into other sectors of the agriculture value Yawopoku is the Rice Millers Association of Ghana's convener. Now, in its quest to step up liquidity management operations, the Bank of Ghana has decided to reset the cash reserve ratio rather, on domestic currency deposits for banks from 12% to 14% effective April 13, 2023. The minimum capital adequacy ratio required to be maintained by banks was reduced from 13% to 10% as of December 31, 2022. It was also announced that losses from the deposit and debt exchange program are to be reflected in the computation of the cash reserve ratio over a period of up to three years. Addressing the media, Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, noted that the announcement is part of significant policy aimed at ensuring financial stability. Me firmly on the path of stability and reinforce the pace of this inflation, it is important that the monetary policy stance be tuned further to re-anchor inflation expectations towards the medium-term target. 
Given these considerations, the NPC decided to increase the monetary policy rate by 150 basis points to 29.5%. Additional measures. The committee also decided to reset the cash reserve ratio on domestic currency deposits for banks from 12% to 14% effective 13th April 2023. In addition, the bank will step up liquidity management operations to address excess liquidity conditions in the market. The committee will continue to monitor developments in the banking sector and deploy other macro prudential tools to ensure financial stability. Dr. Ernest Addison is governor of the Bank of Ghana. And that will be all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. My name is Akusi Autre. Up next is Points Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, I'm sure you've heard by now that the Vice President of the United States of America, Kamala Harris, is in Ghana. She arrived on Sunday. She's been doing a series of events in Accra. She's gone to the central region. And this morning, at the Independence Square, or the Black Star Square in Accra, she addressed a section of the Ghanaian population. She touched on women empowerment, talked about rights and other issues. So we're going to give you that address now in full to help you appreciate the key issues arising from her visit. Let's listen to Kamala Harris, Vice President, USA. It is my extraordinary honor to be with you. So I don't need to tell you, the median age on the African continent is 19. By 2050, one in four people in the entire world will be on this very continent. One in four. That, of course, means what happens on this continent impacts the entire world. Seeing all of you here today makes me so optimistic and excited about this future. The energy, the dynamism, and the potential that each of you embody. That is why I am here today. As President Joe Biden said at the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit last December, we're all in on Africa. We are all in because African nations play such a critical role on issues of global importance, issues that matter to the American people and to the world, issues like food security, the climate crisis, public health, and resilient supply chains. We are all in because African leadership is critical to global and security. African nations are essential partners at the United Nations and in support of international rules and norms. We are all in because the fates 
of the American people and of America and the continent of Africa are interconnected and interdependent. We are all in because there are long-standing ties between our people. We have an intertwined history, some of which is painful and some of which is prideful, and all of which we must acknowledge, teach, and never forget. Because of this history, this continent, of course, has a special significance for me personally as the first black vice president of the United States of America. And this is a history, like many of us, that I learned as a young child. Stories, cultures, and traditions passed down from generations. In addition, this continent has a personal meaning for me because my grandfather and other members of my family worked in Zambia in the 1960s alongside a newly independent people. I was fortunate enough to visit them in Zambia as a young girl. The values that guided my relatives when they were there and the legacy of their efforts remain a source of pride for my entire family and continue to animate my work today. So then, what does it mean that the United States of America is all in? It means that the United States is committed to strengthen our partnerships across the continent of Africa. Partnerships with governments, the private sector, civil society, and all of you. Partnerships based on openness, inclusiveness, candor, shared interests, and mutual benefits. And to be clear, America will be guided not by what we can do for our African partners, but what we can do with our African partners. Together, we will address the challenges we face and the incredible opportunities ahead. And today, I will speak about one particular area of opportunity, investment in innovation. Innovation, I believe to be the pursuit of what can be unburdened by what has been. Innovation results in one's ability not only to see, but to do things differently. New methods, new products, new approaches, new ideas. We innovate to be more effective and to solve problems. From the invention of new technology to the origin of social movements, innovation has come about by challenging the premise, questioning the status quo, and bold thinking. And so to the young leaders here today, you, by your very nature, are dreamers and innovators. And so to you I say, it is your spark 
your creativity and your determination that will drive the future. And with that then, African ideas and innovations will shape the future of the world. And so we must invest in the African ingenuity and creativity, which will unlock incredible economic growth and opportunities, not only for the people of the 54 countries that make up this diverse continent, but for the American people and people around the world. So the Biden-Harris administration and the American people stand ready to partner with you to help accelerate the innovation and entrepreneurship that is already underway. Let's look, for example, at what is happening across the continent in technology, science, agriculture, and clean energy, where innovation is solving local problems and global problems. Just think, before Venmo or Apple Pay, there was M-Pesa in Kenya, a mobile phone payment service that revolutionized the digital financial system. Right now, African nations are pioneering the delivery of healthcare supplies by drone. In Rwanda, this has reduced the delivery time for emergency blood supplies. In Ghana, this service has delivered more than 9 million vaccines, including those for COVID-19. This service has expanded to Kenya and Nigeria and Cote d'Ivoire, and recently to the United States in North Carolina, Arkansas, and Utah. In South Africa, Part of the world's largest radio telescope is under construction, which will help answer some of the biggest questions of humanity about galaxies, about gravity. In Tanzania, plans are underway to build the first facility of its kind on the continent to process minerals that go into electric vehicle batteries. We see water-based farming in Kenya, battery energy storage systems in Malawi, and fintech startups in Nigeria. African ideas and innovations shaping the world, all of which fuel our optimism and hope. Yet, we must also be candid about the challenges from security concerns in the Sahel, to droughts and floods exasperated by the climate crisis, and barriers to economic growth, both on a macro and micro level. We must tackle these challenges and find ways to accelerate opportunity, growth, and stability. And I believe we must be intentional to make progress in three key areas. The empowerment of women, digital inclusion, and good governance and democracy, all of which are a focus of my visit to the continent and going forward. 
and all of which have the potential to create even more innovation. Innovation that will unlock new jobs, new industries, and exponential growth. So let us agree, women around the world must be able to fully participate in economic, political, and social life. And they must be able to participate equally, including in leadership roles. It is a key to maximizing global growth and opportunity. However, we see gender disparities around the world, including in the United States. Disparities we must all address. On the continent of Africa, we know women grow a majority of the food, yet they are less likely to own the land they farm. They represent a majority of frontline healthcare workers, but face disparities in health outcomes. Women are entrepreneurs, yet have limited access to capital and markets. They are peacemakers and bridge builders, yet continue to be underrepresented at the tables where decisions are being made. And there are many factors that impact a woman's ability to survive and thrive. One of those is economic empowerment. And when we lift up the economic status of a woman, let's be clear, we lift up the economic status of her children, her family, her community, the entire economy benefits. So know that the United States of America will work alongside our partners each and every day to close gender gaps here and around the world. And ultimately, our belief is that the empowerment of women is rooted in the concept of freedom not just freedom from violence or want, but freedom to create one's own future. A freedom we desire for all people. The second area where we must together make progress is in the digital economy. Whether you are a student relying on virtual courses, a farmer relying on an app for an early about extreme weather, or a small business owner looking to sell goods online. Digital services are essential to 21st century economies. There are places on the continent of Africa that lead the world in digital solutions, yet other places on the continent that lag behind. Expanding access to the internet drives growth which is why the United States will double down on our effort to mobilize billions of dollars in public and private capital from the United States, the continent of Africa, and around the world in order to expand internet access for the benefit of all people here on the continent. To this end, the partnership between the public and private sectors is essential. Partnerships 
that combine the experience and expertise of the private sector with the reach and capacity that only governments can provide. Together, we can unleash growth and opportunity that far exceeds what either the public or private sector can achieve on its own. And the United States is committed to build these types of partnerships to increase digital inclusion on the continent. And finally, to create inclusive economic growth and to advance innovation, we must continue to support and invest in good governance and democracy. Good governance, well, it delivers predictability, stability, and rule of law, which is what businesses need to invest and what benefits all of society. And good governance is a key attribute of a good democracy. Recent polling tells us the vast majority of Africans support democracy over other forms of government, which reflects our shared desire for freedom and opportunity, transparency and accountability, for free and fair elections, the orderly transition of power and the protection of fundamental human rights. Indeed, this is a priority for the American people, and it is a global priority. The United States will continue to work alongside democratic governments and in support of democratic aspirations of the people of this continent. In demonstration of this partnership this week, our administration is co-hosting the Zambia, in Zambia, the Summit for Democracy, an opportunity to learn from each other and strengthen democratic institutions. And I will say, while democracy is always a work in progress, including in my own country, the American people will always stand with those yearning for more freedom. The words of Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States of America, speaking at the Black Star Square, the Independence Square in Accra today. And that would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. I was here with Akusia Otri. Production by Kobna Wilson, Sami Wiafi, and Fretete Jabano. As well as Ni Lati Lati. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. And new media support from Edwin Kwakofi. Eyewitness News is back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening and have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.